<lacht> Gesundheit. So some of you may not be aware that last week we began the uh, 2012 autumn iteration of the 100-day retreat entitled Back to School. Um, opportunity to uh, learn a few things, to set in motion uh, your commitment and sincerity of intention to awaken and to practice for a hundred days. And, and I know that all of you have signed on to this and you've all found a buddy to check in with, so I won't say any more about that. As I was sitting tonight, and actually earlier today, I, I was just feeling this this uh, welling of of passion, this passion for what I want for you, uh, as part of your practice, as part of your life. And the the passion I felt was for the the extraordinary uh, healing benefits of of practice, the healing benefits of turning our attention that is usually out and quite scattered. See, out is completely fine. Oriented to the present moment is quite fine if our senses, if we're picking up on things, but often our senses, our, our attention is out and scattered. We've lost a sense of, of here, lost a sense of home. So there's a tremendous healing benefit, liberating, lightening, energizing, um, tenderizing benefit of turning our attention, literally turning our mind back on ourselves. As Derek Walcott says, to the one, turning back to the one who has loved you all your life, whom you've ignored for another, who knows you by heart. I'll read the whole poem later if I can find it in this pile. This is an invitation to a kind of, and it literally takes moments, an invitation to a kind of seclusion, a sense of being contained, a sense of being safe, a sense of being at home that really is the, the inherent expression, the inherent feeling that comes when we, uh, when we orient ourselves toward, to, when we seclude ourselves in our senses, which means, in a way, we open our senses as wide as they can go. Our senses are wide open. Our eyes, our inner sight is open our ears are open, our body is open, our nose is open, our tongue is available, our, our, whole, our consciousness is available, but it's not fixated, it's not caught up in objects. We're hanging out right at the base of, of our senses, right at home base, right at the root, at the literally the nature of experience, the home home of experience. And when we 
what many people find helpful, when you spend some time closing your eyes. That's one of the ways that we can begin to to create that sense of being uh, secluded and contained because we often are so scattered that in order to recover that sense of, of harmony of mind and body, we need a little bit of seclusion. So the eyes closed is a very helpful tool in that. But the eyes don't have to be closed. But you want your attention to be from behind the eyes or from the ear within the ear, the nose within the nose, the taste within the tongue, the, from within the body. You want to be connected at that one spot. And what is that one spot? The one spot is the, is the immediacy of the present moment before we, can, before we project our mind, before we project meaning into it, before we, before we get into our to-do list or remember our identity or remember our situation, that there is something um, liberating, illuminating about just letting ourselves stop. And unfortunately, it's so rare in this world. You do it on Tuesday night, but there's no reason why you can't do it four times a day or six times a day in quickies or eight times. There's no reason. And just having a conversation about it doesn't really do the trick, even though it's useful to hopefully to hear a little bit about this stuff. But I was sharing with someone a Navajo saying, like a floating cloud that disperses, a good conversation that is not followed by action will not go anywhere. So it's um, the whole point of this is to encourage you, encourage you to, to even as I speak tonight, to be let yourself rest in that secluded place with yourself, not to go out in search, even search. Even as you hear these words, keep 80% of your attention in your body, 20% in the listening. And you will, it will still allow that process to occur, that unbinding, that unraveling, that illuminating process of, of practice to occur if you stay embodied. Because your mind will be, if, you are, if your mind is in the same location as your body at the same time, you will be, at least in those moments, you will be free of your preoccupations. And as one of my favorite teachers, Sri Nisargadatta, put it, when the mind is kept away from its preoccupations, it becomes quiet. And if you don't disturb that quiet and you stay in it a little bit, you will discover, as he says, you will discover that it's permeated with a light and a love you have never known, yet you recognize it at once as your own nature. Now, if these just sound word, like words, then it's at least worth, worth stretching and experimenting to see whether what I'm saying is true. Anybody see my trusty iPhone in the pile. I have a quote I wanted to share. It's from T.S. Eliot. 
I know it's here somewhere. Maybe it's not. I have to give that one up. It's in my bag. He says something to the effect of, if you don't stretch uh, beyond what you know, you'll never know. It's something to the effect of, you'll never know how far you can go. You'll, you just won't know what your capacity is. And you may think that a sense of wholeness, a sense of, of, of tender strength and presence, a sense of embodiment, a sense of peace is for other people who don't have as difficult a life as you, who don't have as difficult a mind or as difficult as circumstances. But it's really a matter of what we do with our mind, moment to moment, day to day. And that means, as the, the Buddha put it in the Majjhima Nikaya, and he didn't, didn't say this for the purpose of conversation. He said it for the purpose of action. He says, let not a person revive the past or on the future build his or her hopes. For the past has been left behind, the future has not been reached. Instead, with insight, let him or her see each presently arisen state. So how many times today did you actually, in real time, track what your presently arisen state was? And I'm sure there are many people, especially if you've been practicing, you're tracking. And if you're really tracking in real time, you're also harmonizing. You're also, to a degree, you're secluded. You're, you're hanging out at the bases, at the sense bases. I'll just continue. Let, let him know that, let him know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today the effort must be made. Tomorrow death may come. Who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep him and his hordes away. But one who dwells thus ardently, relentless by day, by night, it is he or she, the peaceful sage has said, who has one fortunate attachment. So I really want you to become attached. How's that? (laughs) I want you to cling to mindful attention, and loving-kindness. Put that as your, take that as your refuge. As opposed, and this is just another way of saying, go to the Buddha for refuge. Go to that in you that knows. Because that in you that knows, that you get acquainted with as, you, as it moves, that knowing moves through the different doors of perception, the different states that arise, that in you that knows is the deathless. It's Nibbana. It is the unborn, the unconditioned. Here's what Ajahn Mahabua, a Thai master, this is what he said, although all phenomena, everything that we experience, without exception, fall under the laws of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and selflessness, emptiness. The true nature of the mind does not fall under these laws. The natural power of the mind itself is that it, is that it knows and does not die. 
This deathlessness is something that is beyond disintegration. So even though there are the side benefits of meditation practice, seclusion, is that one can experience moment by moment, not just because you went and sat in a cave for six months, but because you stopped on a regular basis, looked within, kept your mind free of its preoccupations a little bit, actually did it. And you may find that it's permeated with a light and a love and all that Srinas Gadatta said. But the real aim, the real byproduct, is that you, uh, you reacquaint yourself with freedom. You reacquaint yourself with, the, with your true nature that is, that, is, that is beyond birth, beyond death, beyond change. The one as uh, also in that poem from Derek Walcott, the one who has, wait, the one, what is it again? The one who has loved you all your life, who knows you by heart, whom you've ignored, who've, you, whom you've, you have ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Derek Walcott's poem says, he continues, says, take the love letters off the bookshelf, the photographs, the empty notes, Peel your own image, all these ideas. Peel these, your image from the mirror and sit. Feast on your life. Don't overlook this, just that sense of pure presence. Available every moment. That's why every week I keep saying, notice what happens. Notice what you are. Notice what your experience is. After, after your last thought has ceased, and before the next one arises. Without adding anything. What reveals itself is we're simply aware and awake. You are the Buddha. As Kala Rinpoche put it, why don't you see this? He says, because there's a veil, which is the idea that you're not the Buddha. All these ideas about yourself as a separate this, a separate that, I'm this, not enough of this. I'm, And this is all based on the past. As Hafiz put it, what do, what is, what do, uh, what do sad people who are sad have in common? He said they've all built a shrine to the past and often go there to do a strange wail and worship. What's the beginning of happiness, he continues? It's to stop being so religious like that. And that's basically what we do every moment that we engage in this, this hundred days of, of giving special attention to ourselves, special attention to our moment-to-moment arisen state of mind or state of the body or everything in between. Of course, some, for many of us, it's hard to, it, we find it hard to make that transition from busyness, from the identity of busy. You know, every, I've shared so many times the words of Amy Krauss Rosenthal, where she speaks about our most common and, um, and uh, frequently used identity view. And 
that identity view is the view of ourselves, the way we describe ourselves. If somebody asks you how you're doing, the number one thing we say is busy. And it tends to be a kind of badge of pride if, we, if our schedule is filled and our, as Amy says, as our, and our phone doesn't stop ringing and, and we want everyone to think well of us because we're so busy. But so our, our, our whole organism has organized itself, orient itself to productivity, to busyness, to, and some of it is just by virtue of the demands of our, of our life. But some of it is just a habit. It's a way of doing things. We do things with a mental state of rushing that has nothing, that's not necessarily so useful. And in fact, we can still do things quickly without the mental state of rushing. We can, we can do it in a relaxed way. But the tendency is to be bound up. So to stop to keep quiet, to look within, is often not such an easy transition. And that's maybe why people have a hard time with keeping a daily practice. And so to me, I think it's important to add to your, add to your sitting practice a walking practice. I think I mentioned that last week. Making sure that whenever you walk, whenever you walk, you put your mind in your body. Walking down the hall at work, walk, taking a walk, that every moment you keep, you keep using the sensations, the more gross sensations of the contact of your feet with the pavement or the floor, you keep using it to bring you into that sense of presence, bring you to the bare simplicity of walking. Because really, there's not much going on when we're walking. In truth, we're just walking. In fact, really, if you look at our life moment to moment, there's very rarely much going on in truth. There's a hell of a lot going on in our mind, though, that complicates it, that dramatizes it, that makes it seem like there's so much going on. But there's really not much going on. Not much has ever happened. As I often like to say, all that's really ever happened is six experiences repeating themselves over and over again. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. Fleeting. Leaving, really, uh, as far as I can tell right here, it's left not much of a trace of, of having any, ever, anything having happened other than the fact of, of you being here. That's certainly the result of many causes and conditions, but they were all just momentary. And here we are in this one. And when our mind is a little bit more sane... And present, we see there's not much going on. And uh, that's a good thing. But we have had the habit of complicating things. So having a transitional practice of walking, and it's not just a transitional practice, it's a very useful practice to do every day of your life. It's the most portable of our mindfulness practices. But then, of course, if you can find a time to do a bit, little bit of, of to and froing, pacing, back and forth. That will be a, and to do that with walking, it's a good reminder that you can bring to the times that you're actually walking someplace. You can have that feeling that you've developed in walking back and forth, that feeling that becomes obvious when you walk back and forth that you're not going anywhere. 
And the whole point is to arrive in the step that you're taking. And you can carry that, begin to carry that over into taking a walk or going somewhere. You can keep settling back, keeping, keep letting your life be fulfilled by the step you're taking. Even if it does lead to a destination, you're still right where you are. You've never left where you are anywhere, anytime. You've only left in your imagination. Isn't it amazing that one of us has ever left the present moment in truth? Except in our imagination? That just blows my mind when I think about it. This is really all there has ever been, is this unfolding now. And yet our mind thinks that we've gone from the past, we're blazing through the future or through the present on our way to the future. That's just a story. When we're walking, we're just walking. And only in our mind do we project a destination and project a, a starting point. That's a projection. In fact, there's just the step we're taking, ever. So this is a wonderful way to, if you keep realizing this, keep actualizing this in your regular walking, you'll start being a little bit more oriented to real time. This shouldn't be such a revelation to us, but our mind is so often so fixated in, in the past or in the imagined future that it's missed. Now, just walking sometimes doesn't do it either. Sometimes we have to, and I would recommend this as, if you could do it every day as part of your 100 days, I would recommend this, which is to go to a beautiful place. Go to a, a place where there's some nature. Some place where you can, as a way of, of orienting yourself to the present moment, that you can look around and see things that are beautiful. You can hear beautiful sounds. Something that actually freshens your, your senses enough to be able to feel like you're happy that you're here. That you don't, that you don't need to escape. Have that in your in your day-to-day activity so that you're not just waiting for the vacation to, to go into nature. And if you have to, just find one tree that you can stand by or look at. I was found this beautiful poem from David Wagner. Of course, he talks about this is more than just a tree, but it starts about the trees. He says, stand still. The trees before you and the bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is a place called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen, it answers. I have made this place around you, If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, Here, no two trees are the same to raven, no two branches the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. So every day... Something in nature, 
I stumbled on this autumn reflection. It was really part of an advertisement for a a woman, uh, a woman's artwork in Canada. And her autumn reflection was, one sits by the river with no purpose, just to sit and be, with nowhere to go and nothing to think about. One watches all the subtle activity of the forest and the water, listens to all the little sounds, feels with all the senses. The mind is empty, the body is fully alive. In this state, mind and body melt into life, and there is no separation. It is an absolute union, our primal and primary nature. So if we're not doing this, we're lost in some way. And I find that a way of orienting toward that place, that that life in us, that life around us, that sense where inside and outside vanish and we're just connected with life right where it touches us, that a way of orienting to that is to spend a little time in nature. And if you do, even if it's just looking at a flower or a plant or whatever it is in your home, just get situated. Just let your senses tune into that and your connection with your environment then it's often easier to then turn, uh, turn inward and to feel that sense of seclusion. Senses still wide open, but not out. And then letting what happens, letting that, the heart stir, it stirs and it says yes if you let, it, if you let yourself be still. It says, where have you been? I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting. Stop. Thank you for stopping. Our heart just says that. If we enter it wisely, if we enter it kindly. And then we can actualize the words of when we truly are able to sit, we can actualize the the instructions of the Buddha to Bahia, where he said you should train yourself with respect to what's seen, that there'll be just what's seen. And with respect to what's heard, there will be just what's heard. With respect to what's sensed, there'll be just what's sensed. With respect to what's cognized, there'll be just what's cognized. That's all. So if you, by here, with respect to the seen, there'll be just what's seen, heard just what's heard, felt just what's felt, sensed just what's sent, sensed, cognized just what's cognized, then you will not be, there will be no therefore, thereby, therein. And when you are not therein or thereby or therefore, you'll not either be here or there or any or otherwise you'll recognize that this, I'm paraphrasing right now, this alone is the end of suffering. This is the cessation of our struggle. This is the taste of freedom. So easily overlooked, and yet at our fingertips, if we just stop 
Keep quiet. Look within. So I'll read from, to end, my favorite relaxation poem, Song of Realization, from Gendon Rinpoche, called Free and Easy, just so that you don't make yourself crazy trying to be a good meditator. Just remind yourself every day that happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already present in open relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do or to undo. Whatever momentarily arises in your body and mind has no real importance at all and has little reality whatsoever. It's momentary. Why identify with and become attached to it and passing judgment upon it and ourselves endlessly? Far better to simply allow the entire process or game to happen on its own, springing up and falling back like waves, without changing or manipulating anything. And notice how everything arises and vanishes and then reappears magically. Again and again, time without end. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It's like a vivid rainbow which you pursue without, without ever catching, or a dog chasing its own tail. Although peace and happiness do not exist as an actual thing or place, it is always available and accompanies you every instant. Don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. They are like today's ephemeral weather, like rainbows in the sky. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you open, relax this tight fist of grasping. Infinite space is there, open, inviting, and comfortable. Make use of this natural spaciousness, this freedom and ease, Don't search any further. Don't go into the tangled jungle looking for the the awakened elephant who's already resting quietly at home in front of your own hearth. Nothing to do or undo, nothing to force, nothing to want, and nothing missing. Emaho, marvelous. Everything unfolds by itself. The paradox is the only way we can know this is if we show up and pay attention. And the only thing that I've noticed that really gets us to do that is is sitting is some sincerity of intention, really reflecting in the morning, the moment you wake up. Set your intention, feel the sincerity of your desire to be well and to be happy. And then let your action spring from that sincerity of heart, that clear intention. And then aim for the highest happiness, the happiness of peace. And you'll find that 
that if you keep aiming for, as the Buddha put it, if you aim for the highest happiness, all the other kinds of pleasures of this world will come in, in the wake. You don't have to give up anything in this world. You just have to realize that it goes away. And then you can enjoy the world of the senses, use the world of the senses, but not um, be dependent on it. Because you will be resting in the deathless, the unborn, the unconditioned, that is and always has been, always will be the very nature of your heart. Your own nature is freedom. So let's uh, rest in natural great peace right now for a few moments and then we'll call it a night. One last reading of Derek Walcott's poem, Love After Love. The time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving in your own door, at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine. Give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. May all beings learn to feast on their lives. May our practice be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings. May all beings be free. May all beings be at peace. May all beings be filled with loving kindness. you. So just a, a couple announcements before we leave. Carlos over here has, is um, in need in the upcoming, uh, in the near future, will be needing a, a roommate at a flat on Alvarado and, and Guerrero. Alvarado and Guerrero, a, a, a bedroom in a flat. So anyone who knows someone who's looking for a space to live, go see Carlos, who's sitting in the front row. Secondly, I want to encourage everyone to, if you haven't perused before, uh, perused our Sangha Services directory. There are 17 people 
in our community who have offered their services, uh, and if you benefit by their, if if they benefit by you using their services, they want to use some of their proceeds to support our sangha, which is a beautiful thing. But I also wanted to really support the people on this list, not just for, for um, it's, this isn't the list. This is just the blurb about the directory. But wanted to, just it seemed like there were 17 people doing really wonderful things, and and we all need services. And so take a look at it and see if any of the people on there could be of benefit to you. Because if you help them, they help you, and it's it's all it's a beautiful thing. Why not help each other? So there's that piece, and then a um, a reminder that we function only if by our by mutual generosity. You know, I offer teachings, you offer support for me. We this room depends on our support for the room rental, which is $150 a week. There are many ways that you can offer support for the room rental. You can write checks to the church, and they're tax deductible, or for the, for the um, the Donna here to the community, and you make the checks out to the, uh, I always forget the church name, St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church, and write Mission Dharma on the memo line, and we can make sure that you get some kind of a letter that says that uh, the church has agreed that your uh, your donation will be tax deductible. And then, of course, cash in the baskets. We now have a basket both at the the organ bench and one at the door. And so any generosity for both room rental Donna and teacher Donna is much appreciated and allows us to keep doing this. So thank you. Any other announcements that I'm forgetting? Um, please do your, do your hundred days and do it with gusto. Do it with love. Find a buddy if you haven't found one yet. If anybody needs a buddy and anybody that needs a buddy that wants to just find somebody within the group, come see, everybody come up here when you're done, if you haven't found a buddy. And we'll, we'll try to put people together and just have fun with it. And it's very creative. You can make up your own version. Thank you so much for your presence and your practice. See you next Tuesday, hopefully. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.